Hello and welcome to 50 Minutes in Hell. It's a 50 minute long podcast. I'm joined today by Ken Klippenstein of The Intercept. Ken, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right. Good to be with you. So, thought I'd start in a nice and easy and normal spot. Why was it that all these people who love UFOs were so angry at you for a while? Well, I filed a um, records request um, with, uh, I think it was a Virginia County sheriff's office that showed that the um, alleged ufo whistleblower who um you know has gotten extraordinary treatment in the press described kind of ad nauseum as um a uh, decorated war hero i couldn't find hardly any um you know critical coverage of this guy um had been institutionalized at um, one point and um the records i obtained under these records requests showed that there were i think two different um kind of mental health episodes that he had had And, you know, I don't want to make light of anyone's uh, struggle, but I think that should be factored into our discussion of this guy who was taking up taxpayer money in the form of these uh, congressional hearings that, um, you know, led by Republicans um, about this um, UFO phenomenon and which hadn't entered any of their reporting at all. Again, go back, look at the reporting. It's all just this decorated war hero, decorated war hero, decorated war hero. I couldn't find any attempt to, um, you know, scrutinize who, who this guy is, what he's saying, what are his credentials. And so that was kind of the motive, and that was seemed what really you know stirred people up. Are they still angry at you? Because it's oh, been yeah. a while. Totally. They're still going. This is the biggest. The only other time people have been this mad at me was when I was making fun of Musk in 2020, when when he was still kind of this um, green energy savior. He was like a little bit less of a uh, polarizing figure than he is today. It's the only right. other time people have been as angry at me. Well. As far as your coverage goes, though, what is your beat? Because it does not seem to have any form. Like, I mean that in the best possible way. <laughs> no, that that would be the question. I mean, when I, people ask me that, I'm like, what do I, what is my beat? <laughs> what do I do I for work? I cover national security a lot. I mean, that's how I looked at this stuff was because I saw that some of the um, claims that he was making, I think a lot of people don't have the, um, national security is a kind of complicated field. And so when someone says, oh, I can't talk about this unless it's in a secure facility, you know, people are really impressed by that because they don't understand the laws around, you know, what allows you to say this or that. And I, you know, from from my perspective, a lot of what he was saying, some of it could be discussed in an open setting. And it struck me as theatrics um, that he was and- insisting on the secret setting. And ordinary people don't know that because they don't have a national security backing and they don't background and they don't understand you know, you are allowed to give like kind of and who, and the person in question here who wouldn't discuss. Sorry, I think we lost that. Yes. Oh, sorry, David Grush. He was a former intelligence officer. Um, I believe it was Air Force um, who who alleges to have worked on on programs involving UFOs for the Defense Department. So, how do you? This is a very weird way to put it. You have probably read more docu- internal government documents than anyone I know. How has this changed how you look at the government? <laughs> Well, so the reaction immediately um, from Grush and from um, News Nation, which had been covering very credulously, in my view, the UFO phenomenon, was immediately, oh, there's no way he could have gotten these confidential medical records, but from the um, personnel files of the intelligence community, perhaps the CIA. None of that is true. It, I got it from an ordinary open records request. Um, this is like the state equivalent of what's called FOIA, Freedom of Information Act request. Right which anyone can use, the media doesn't really, and that's why there wasn't any scrutiny of this guy. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, you, anyone can use it. You don't have to be a journalist. This is just like a pretty routine process. It took me maybe a week to get these records after filing right. it and the process of constructing the request maybe took 20 minutes, 15 minutes, something like that. So perfectly, you know, ordinary process. And the fact that they, 
you know, leapt to these conclusions, I thought spoke volumes about their process because that reflects a lot of what they say about other things, which is, oh, I saw this thing. It can only mean X. And since nobody really goes through, I mean, I had shortly after that Chris Cuomo on his show, I think he works for News Nation, saying, yes, this must be the only way he could know about it. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, none of that was <laughs> none of that was true, perhaps from the lack of understanding of how records, open records process works. But yeah, um, I thought it raised questions about their credibility. So, I mean, in a more general sense, having outside of the UFO stuff as well, because you and Beth, who is amazing, your work on FOIA requests is incredible. You've seen some incredible things. How does it make you view the government? Are you more scared, less scared, more impressed, less impressed? Like, how do you feel? It's complicated. Yeah. So they are both, it's, it's like, um, I love that Alan Moore expression. The problem with conspiracy theories is that the world is rudderless. There is no one at the helm. And right. I would say that's the theme that I've taken back from four requests is being stunned at the incompetence of the government. Now, that's not to say that's not scary. To me, in a way, that is more scary than that uh, shadowy cabal, you know, seized power and is uh, running the ship in the wrong direction. The reality is that it, to a great extent that there is no direction. They're just all fighting for power and 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 you know, the, any sort of strategic direction is a concern that falls by the wayside. That's what I learned again and again from these um, primary source documents is how how rudderless, how directionless, there are no plans. My dad is a climate scientist and I was like, so what's the plan for climate over like the next 30 or 40 years? He's just like, there is no plan. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it was like, uh, I don't, in, a way, in a way to me, that's scarier than that there are bad guys. Right. Because we could just kick out the bad guys. If it was just a shadowy cabal, you can try to get rid of them or whatever. Um, but if the problem is diffuse across the entire institution, um, that's a much more insidious problem, I think. Yeah, if there's no no mechanisms to actually fix anything, who do you rise up against? Who do you vote out? Exactly. Vote it? Like, it's just kind of terrifying. I have to wonder if that's how guys like Jeff Bezos, as far as labor goes, and as far as Elon Musk, as far as national security goes, do you think that that's how they've kind of instilled their power? Because there really isn't that much of a plan? Oh, totally. Look at how Elon Musk will do and say these things that that clearly seem to violate like um, SEC rules around like investment stuff like that, or tries to you know open up a factory in the middle of the pandemic um, when people are supposed to work remotely. How much trouble does he see for any of that? Yes, there's like a long grinding court process or whatever, but that's just like a small expense to him. That's like uh, the equivalent of like going out to coffee for us. So you really see how weak the mechanisms are in place to prevent someone like this from um, gaming the, I mean, you've written about cryptocurrency, all the right. pump and dump schemes, we only, there's no way they've prosecuted even a fraction of what was going on. There's just nobody in charge. It's chaos. It's a total wild west. And, um, you know, with people with enough capital, they can really take advantage of that. I mean, look at who the SEC goes after. It's always these small guys. It's never the big players. So yeah, I think you don't. I think that's a really good example of the um, directionless uh, chaos that that we're seeing. I think it's interesting as well because the Ronan Farrow New Yorker piece also showed how surprisingly meek the government can be. Like a former Pentagon oh, yeah. official just being like, "Well, you know, you can't really do anything about Elon Musk. He's just exactly. he, he's just rich." Exactly. You know, I was More talking to somebody recently from the um, director of national intelligence, and this individual made exactly that point. She said, um, you know, in the future, we're going to have to try to forge closer relationships with these powerful corporations because they have so much power. I'll give you another example. An FBI 
um, agent friend of mine, he one time was like, I was asking him, you know, you, you start out in this field very um, informed by like Hollywood. And I, you know, I'd watch, I'd grown up watching like um, Born Identity, that kind of thing. And right. Like, wow, you guys must have these amazing capabilities. He's like, you know what we're really jealous of? I wish we could do what Google can do. That would be amazing. And I was like, what the intelligence community? Like what? <laughs> what? Right. Uh, you know, like mass data collection, stuff like that. Like um, they have powerful targeted tools that they can use to look at a specific thing, but they can't see the entire you know, uh, uh, how do you say, um, just like uh, Vista, uh, Mosaic, that, that having mass access to everybody's data um, affords. And so th this person at the Director of National Intelligence is telling me, yeah, people like um, Musk and Starlink, like that's really the future and we really need to try to ingratiate ourselves. I mean, she didn't say it in these words, but that was basically the subtext of it is we need to try to ingratiate ourselves with these corporations. So what I hear from that is kind of like this picture of the, you know, deep state, national security community it's kind of like misses how powerful private actors have become in 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 recent time it feels like a catch-22 though because you really don't want the nsa to have those powers right but at the same time google has them right well they're increasingly just farming out the responsibilities so then they end up sharing things and they establish these partnerships that's the focus of the intelligence community if you read the national intelligence strategy i'm working on a story about this now they're like that is the future. We need to have partnerships in that way. They can get around your Fourth Amendment protections by saying, oh, we didn't do the collection. We had the private company do it. And we just bought it on a commercial basis. Don't get mad at us. We didn't actually do it ourselves. So you both get none of the benefits of government oversight and also regulatory capture, I guess. Bit exactly. of that. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's funny. It, and you read, did you read the Mark Andreessen letter? His, he wrote this thing, this techno-optimist manifesto. I've heard about it, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Well, he specifically named regulatory capture the enemy in one point, which is very funny because I don't think these tech guys view what they're doing as regulatory capture. I think they think it's like free commerce, even though that's absolutely what it is. But it's it's really it feels like we're in a very bad spot there specifically, because what you're describing is the government is not capable of doing what private enterprises could do, but also they shouldn't be doing. No one should be doing this, but they just can like. We don't yeah, regulate totally. this. Well, look at the antitrust case against Google. The practices that they're uh, scrutinizing and, and trying to, you know, come to a settlement over have been going on for like the entire existence of Google. And this is like the first time mm -hmm. that a lot of the public is hearing about these things. I mean, it really, yeah, it really speaks to. On the one hand, uh, there is more interest in antitrust, and that it is becoming better. But it's starting from such a, you know, weak position that it's kind of depressing. <laughs> So, on the subject of well-run things, how do you see Twitter going? Where, do you think Twitter dies in the next year? I don't think it dies. Um, I, unfortunately, like everything in life, it feels like we're denied the closure of a spectacular explosion and destruction. <laughs> you know what I mean? And instead, yeah. we just get this petering out. I imagine it'll become sort of ghettoized like Facebook is, where it's this thing that kind of like really old people are intermittently on, and everybody kind of has a account but they don't necessarily visit it very much that would be my right. best guess as to what happens although i'd much prefer the spectacular explosion that would be fun you're not gonna bank on there <laughs> i didn't say that uh, <laughs> yeah of course are you kidding me i mean come it, on dude it, it's funny i like the idea of him trying to do banking because up until now musk has picked soft targets he's picked like elizabeth warren's not gonna do shit to him like, Elizabeth Warren's not going to be the person who bangs down his door. But if he does banking, 
He'll piss okay. off all the regular, and those guys actually do. <laughs> there are yeah, people who power. work there. Yeah, they actually work there. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it, no, it, I mean, he's just kind of casting about. It just seems like, um, uh, I mean, it's like every week there's some new hairbrained um, feature. They just un- did. You see this? Just yesterday they unrolled what's called Premium Plus. So there's like oh, another and basic as well. Yeah, premium because apparently Twitter Blue the premium service you still get ads so if you pay more than that amount then you won't get or you still see ads you just see less of them and so now he's created a tier where there's no ads so it's like it kind of feels like he's just um you know throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks to get the uh, again banks <laughs> it sounds like are getting pretty impatient with with his uh failure yeah. to to gin up revenue kind of um, feels like sears like, it yeah. feels like a company going bankrupt, but they're just like, like well, if you discount 98% <laughs> off, I don't. Well, what's great as well is the basic tier is $3, and it's like the edit button and some other things, no check mark. It is the same product as right. Twitter Blue was before he bought it. It's right. the same. <laughs> and it's just, I don't see how the banks haven't, well, the banks have no power. Because actually, I think that, back to the whole rudderless power thing, the banks have power usually but they were just like we don't need to put any clauses in this thing he'll be elon's never fucked anyone over before it's It's the best exactly yes this idea that they have everything you see particularly on the left you know i have a lot of friends on the left obviously and and when you talk about climate change they'll say things like oh well they've got their bubble in new zealand and all the rich are have a perfect plan to survive there it'll just be us that survives like dude no they don't they don't have any plan (laughs) it's just chaos they will be building this last minute Right. And and I feel that that something you've remarked upon a few times already. It's like that is the sad part about conspiracy theories I've found that people want it's almost easier to understand the world if there's a conspiracy because if you accept what it is it's just the powerful mostly don't know what they're doing. The the government doesn't either. Everyone's kind of rudderless to your you, you, Oh, you're, totally. And the other thing is I think it's kind of a reactionary view to be honest. It's sort of baffling to me to see people on the left who are supposed to, you know, oppose concentrated wealth saying actually the extremely wealthy are very competent and they have this perfect plan for themselves. It's kind of like, I thought the point was that concentrated wealth is inefficient because then they become detached from reality and they're not good stewards of those resources and so on and so forth. But instead it's like, no, they've got this perfect thing and what can you, and it just kind of leads to like despair because it's like, well, what can we do? They've already got everything mapped out and it's just not true. You know, (laughs) they really don't. Have you read Jeff Bezos's texts? This man yeah. has no. This man can barely talk to a woman, let alone like. Oh boy, that's no, the most striking feature. Yeah, how mediocre they are, right? They're just really yeah, underwhelming, the, I guess. We we don't really get the eighteen hundreds fantastical horror shows anymore. We get varying levels of divorced male. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think that's a great space to. To end it on, Ken, you got anything to hype? You want to hype anything up? Send anyone yeah, check to out my, you? Check out my Substack. Yeah, check out my Substack. Uh, Ken KenClippenstein.substack.com. Thank you so much for joining me, Ken. This has been 15 Minutes in Hell. You can find us at where'syoured.at slash podcast. Join us on the Discord chat.where'syoured.at. Ken, thanks for joining. 